This is Nikki Arden, and I am here with Michelle Pryor. Hi. And welcome to our very first episode of Dark Odysseys. I'm so excited. What about you, Michelle? What do you think? Um, totally psyched about where this is going to go, especially with uh, tonight's topic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's our it's our first podcast, so let's see where it goes. And um, why don't we just give them a little bit about ourselves before we hop into our topic tonight? Yes. Okay, I agree. So um, so we are Dark Odysseys. We, um, were, we met as travel agents. I am no longer a travel agent because I have life is chaotic and I can only do one job at a time and, and that's okay. So, um, and I like to juggle. That's what she's saying. Yeah. I like to juggle still a travel agent and now a podcaster with you. And, um, you know, we're into the kooky and the spooky. So we decided to just come together and, and talk about travel in the sense of, you know, destinations where, a lot goes on past uh, everyday life, so to speak. Exactly. So we, um, one of the things that drew me to Michelle is one. I mean, she's got an amazing energy, and I love that. But also, she's very similar to me in that we both like weird things, right? And I like to, you know, when I'm thinking about places that I want to go travel to, I want to. It's got to have good history. I got to know this something cool had to have happened at that place. Um, but also like, does it got a dark side? Because I am all about, you know, you know, things that most people probably think are a little weird. And I, I like it. I like, um, I'm, I'm a little, little spiritual. I'm a little, um, I wouldn't say witchy. Um, cause weird. I'm not, I'm, but I'm like, I like that stuff and I like things, <laughs> you know, I, I like true crime and I like, um, just, you know, dark stuff. And so we were like, you know, let's just start a podcast and tell everybody about all the, you know, cool, weird places that they could visit and, you know, why they should visit these places or, you know, maybe why they shouldn't visit these places or, um, and all the, you know, weird things that go on. Yeah. Um, I'm excited that to be here with you, Michelle, and to be here with everybody that is listening. Spirits as well as humans. If, if they would, if they want to listen to, yeah, that's, that's right. So one of the things, let's just get this out of the way. I am a little bit more of a skeptic to spirits per se than Michelle is. Michelle's very open and I am a little bit more not close. She's, she's, she's a little bit of a doubting Thomas. And, and this is where I want to kind of like segue and bring in Danielle. Uh, Danielle Anatra is here with us and she is my guest this evening. Hi everyone. She's a psychic medium and, um, originally based in Long Island, uh, which is how we met, um, back in 2015. And she's definitely a dear friend of mine. Um, beyond the readings that I've experienced with her. She now um, is based in Vegas. Do you want to tell them a little bit about you, Danielle? Sure. Well, thank you, Nikki and Michelle, for even having me today. I'm so of course. excited to be here, and I'm excited. It's your first podcast, and I'm really excited to be your first guest. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing – I've been a professional medium for – well, my whole life, but professionally for 10 years, and I absolutely love the work that I do. I've um, – I currently moved to Vegas about a year ago, so I'm in Nevada now, and 
I love it here. The energy is definitely different. Um, there's a lot of different energy centers here, which are really cool. But Long Island will always be my home, though. So, <laughs> which is what brings us to to tonight's topic. Um, I currently reside in Long Island, and Danielle was one of the first people I thought of when I thought about tonight's um, location. It's the Kings Park Psychiatric Center, which is in Kings Park. New York. Um, and to give you a little bit of a back history about this before we um, delve into what's gone on in the past. Um, so the Kings Park Psychiatric Center was known originally as the Kings Park Asylum. And it was, it's, it's no longer, it's shut down, but it was a state-run psychiatric hospital in Kings Park, New York, it got its name after um, basically the borough of Brooklyn, which erected this facility um, of over 800 acres, over you know about a hundred buildings, and due to the fact that you know in Kings County there were basically crowding in these mental institutions and they needed um, a place to kind of expand and make room for um, those with mental disturbances. So, um, you know, the, the Kings County Asylum, of course, 10 years later gets named the Kings Park Psychiatric Center was the, and I'm quoting Hilton of asylums, um, and, you know, again, seeking to alleviate that crowding, it, it kind of made a world of its own. Um, they had their patients working farm type of activities in, um, in, in terms of a method of therapy for them, you know, uh, taking care of livestock, growing their own fruits, vegetables, um, and later becoming really self-sufficient where they're running their own heat, electricity. It really was a world of its own. Um, so, you know, growing up as a native New Yorker, I had heard about it, um, in my teens in my twenties and, um, you know, through personal interests of, of places that are quote unquote, you know, haunted or have paranormal activity. Um, I kind of chose to, you know, start reading up on, um, this location and what went on. Um, and you know, and, and, and it, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So, um, I, I took to some local boards on, on the internet and I spoke to a couple of staff members that work there, um, heard about, you know, patient stories and, you know, there was some good, but there also was a lot of, um, not so great things that went on as we also kind of like stereotypically hear about what goes on in these types of wards. Um, so like I said, it just it just kept expanding in terms of what I was um, able to find out. I took a I took a walk there myself, um, and that you know just further deepened my um, my curiosity. So um, so that's where that that's where this all started from. This was the first topic I chose to host first, and um, so when you think of the Kings Party, uh, the Kings Park Psychiatric Center, you're not just talking about one building. 
right? You know, building 93 is the one that stands out. It's the tall one with the 13 floors as, you know, people drive by and whatnot. Um, But really you're looking at this massive land that has, yes, almost like a, yes, even probably bigger than a college campus that has its own, you know, uh, fire, uh, fire department. And even one building housed um, a bowling alley, a theater. Um, So really a community. Every, yes, everything's kind of contained in this one area. I mean, even some of the staff were housed there. Right. You know, I can't imagine, you know, um, living where you work sort of a thing. But I guess if it was, you know, uh, the thing they did back then, you know, I guess that worked. Um, yeah. But fast forwarding to 1996, there's a shutdown. And, you know, I guess we'll delve further into the um, <clears throat> roller coaster of trend in terms of mental uh, illness and treatments that went on, but you know, 1996 is a shutdown. That wasn't that, that long ago, right? That's in our, in our lifetime. And, um, the Kings, uh, the Kings Park Psychiatric Center was, was alive and running for 111 years. And in that time, a lot, a lot happened. Um, so I, I just, I wanted to, you know, take a closer look. So going there was obviously, you know, a 40 minute ride. It was a, a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going there, not what I expected. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, graffiti destruction and, you know, you expect to see, you know, beds and all sorts of things, which there were some, um, but it's a lot of broken glass. It's a lot of uh, rusted metal, asbestos that wasn't able to be, you know, removed properly. Um, and, you know, and the vibe that I was hoping for was some silence where I could try just try to tune in and see if there were any sounds that I could hear. But there were a lot of people there. Yeah. You, when you first pull up, you're thinking like, oh, there's a couple cars here. Like, I wonder where these people are. And then they're in the buildings. They're in the right. buildings. They've got walking sticks. Like, it was kind of comical because it then turned into like this tourist attraction. Right. So they're doing the same thing you were doing, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's funny. I read up on that about, you know, the amateur photographers and everything. And I kind of chuckled to myself and I'm like, well, here I am, you know. And, and then I'm like, wait a minute. I did not bring a mask. Uh, I've got the flashlight that's on my phone. Cool. Like I'm totally prepared for this. Um, and you, you know, it's just human nature to be curious and want right. to know. Um, but I don't know if all of us were looking for like, you know, ghosts in, in, in the sunlight, like midday. Like, I don't think that was the, <laughs> the expectation per se. Well, it's not uncommon. I mean, so there's a reason why you were not the only one there. Um, you know, mental institutions and abandoned, you know, hospitals, they're, you know, you've got to think about like, there's a reason why paranormal experts and paranormal, not experts, just enthusiasts, like to go to those places because of the amount of like bad juju that has probably gone through those places is, is palpable probably to even someone who is like with me, who's you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I believe in believe energy in at all. Yeah. But right. I mean, like it, you can feel it even years later, you can probably feel that for someone who's probably not as sensitive as Danielle, you know? So like, 
I can't even imagine <laughs> what someone who was who was actually channeling that energy and can actually interpret it in a way that makes sense um, how they would feel. So yeah, there's a reason why paranormal you know enthusiasts go to those places because of you know they're they're wanting to experience the same thing that you were wanting to experience is you know some anything really yeah. well, other well, than I the graffiti. I remember going there like when I was in high school and uh, so many years ago and just walking around, but we went at midnight, you know, so it was already creepy. Uh huh. You know, I always knew like I had gifts, but I didn't really understand what they were. So I wouldn't have called myself a psychic back then um, or medium or anything like that. But I was, I remember walking through and feeling very scared. You know, of course, it's midnight and, you know, I'm with a bunch of my friends and we're, you know, and we're walking through and we're going like into the hospitals and stuff like and it's really creepy at night. And you get like this eerie, eerie feeling whether you're there during the day or at night, you can still feel that energy and you think like, oh, maybe I'm just scared, maybe whatever. But now um, as an adult, when I know how to harness my energy and I feel that I feel all that, you know, you still feel it's not it doesn't have to be that there's spirits around all the time. Sometimes like if something happens there, like they had like before the new hospitals were built and new medicine was discovered and things like that, the old hospitals had a lot of inhumane treatments that these people went through. They went through a lot of trauma. Um, They went through a lot of crap and it's, you know, it's very sad. And the energy of that is still there. You know, just like if you're in your house and you had an argument with your spouse, it creates this energy. Yeah, tension, sure. It it creates that energy. So there was a lot of years of trauma there that all this energy is just there. So it's not that spirits are stuck or anything like that. It's just that energy is is there. So when you walk in, you immediately feel it, you know, no matter what, you immediately feel it. And, you know, there's a difference between just having that energy of that memory there, basically, or actually encountering a spirit there. So you don't necessarily take it as like a malignancy if no. you're walking into. No, um, you know, that's the problem with, um, you know, a lot of people think like, you know, this doesn't feel good or this doesn't feel right. Um, mm-hmm. The energy here is a little weird. So it's bad. Like that's right. immediately their reaction. It's bad. You know, sometimes our gut is telling us something like, you know, this is bad. We have to leave, blah, 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 whatever. But in a case like this, when you're walking in, it's not that it's bad. It's just what happened there was bad. You're feeling, you know, what happened there. Not that you're in danger at that moment, but just that whatever happened there, it wasn't you know, it wasn't good. And that's why a lot of people get scared of kind of diving into spirit and all the mediumship stuff because they're nervous that they're going to attract something bad or whatever. So, yeah, we, nobody wants to, nobody wants to be like Reagan from the exorcist and then bite <laughs> that shit into their oh, life. No. You know? Let me, let me, let me tell like less than 10% of the population that actually will encounter like a poltergeist type energy. Like it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it doesn't, you, you're not, you're probably, most people are not going to encounter that. It's just a lot of fear that uh, we have connected to what's been or what's happened. I was more afraid of some human being popping out of nowhere yeah. than a spirit. I'm going to tell you that yeah, right off the bat. Head. Okay. Head. Yeah. <laughs> because the first, the building that we went into, okay, it was through the back. And we didn't realize that people were in there until we were like way in and the door was wide open. Okay, sure. I'll walk in here. It's a metal door wide open again. I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. And, um, 
So I go in and I, I'm guessing it's through the basement. Okay, it looks like the first level, but it's more like a, a, a basement. It's a ground floor. And pitch black, doesn't even matter that there's daylight coming in. Okay, and even to see the staircase, you need the flashlight on your phone. Okay, locate the staircase, start walking. And then to the right is just, it's, it's complete blackness. So it's like, well, what if I go right instead of the staircase? Now I'll go up the, I'll go up the staircase, flashlight the whole time, get to the second floor. Um, and now there's natural light, right? Hearing very little faint sounds that are not, you know, they're not ghosts. They're, you know, like, what is that that I'm hearing? Looking up, you see the second floor kind of like gated and, you know, there's like human beings like, Hey, we're up here. And I'm like, Oh, hi. Uh, what are you doing up there? And how many are there of them? Uh, you know, are you? And she's like, Oh, there's a bunch of us up here. We're going to, you know, c- come up the stairs. So the floor we were on looked like a giant, almost like a cafeteria type of thing. You could have totally filmed a really cool music video there with all the um, graffiti and, and carnage. Um, And then walked upstairs and I'm still like weary of like, who's going to be behind the doors. Let I walk through Um, rather than, you know, a um, your typical, like boo that jumps (laughs) out in the middle of a, you know, movie or whatever jump scare. Um, So yeah, I definitely feared human more i mean you don't know who's living in these buildings if anybody you know what i'm saying the homeless taking shelter like i would and i wouldn't blame them if they're looking for a a warm place to 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 be um and to be honest i mean humans are pretty we've done some pretty bad things yeah we've done some pretty (laughs) bad things like as a species you know i mean the reason why there is negative energy was because of some pretty you know bad humans that that have treated, you know, their patients poorly. That's exactly where I wanted to go with this. You know, um, so we have, you and I have talked about that prefrontal lobotomy um, and electroshock therapy. And we kind of, you know, um, we we briefly went back and forth and, um, you know, Nikki's stance was, well, some of it was helpful. And I'm like, no, get out of here. And like, (laughs) You, okay. you better come back with some like fact because I'm totally ready for the rebuttal. And Danielle is sitting in the middle like, I'm just taking this all in right now. Um, <laughs> but like, tell me, somebody please give me like straight facts on how a frontal lobotomy, pre sorry, prefrontal lobotomy okay. is at all effective. Go for okay. it. So, okay. So first let's, let's just kind of give like a very, very, very brief explanation of what happened during lobotomy. So like, like uh, some of the other inhumane treatments, the lobotomy, um, and then the, the transorbital lobotomy, which was, um, popularized by, uh, Dr. Walter Freeman. He, in the 1940s and 1950s, he started doing, um, transorbital lobotomies, which is like, you know, you know, when you hear about a lobotomy, you imagine like the ice pick. And so he, and it, he didn't use an ice pick. He, there's some fancy, like, I'm sure there's some fancy medical cool. term for the actual uh-huh. like instrument that he used, but it, basically they would take an ice pick and, and just lift up your eyelid and just kind of, they would go for it. Jab it right in, in there. Yeah. Just jab it in there. And so they would, it would, it would go through um, the skull through the eye, the eye socket and then what they would do is they would just, you know, take the the instrument, the ice pick, and you know, basically just do like a little like I don't I don't know how to say it. 
like a, like an egg whisk, you know, they would do that little motion to kind of, and what it would do was it would sever the connection in your, um, your frontal cortex, because that was, that's the part of, well, it, your, 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 your frontal lobe is, does a lot of things for you. But one of the things that it does is it also, it deals with your emotions. So the idea was that if you severed that connection, connection, then you sever those emotions, you know, whether it's depression or, you know, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, any of those maladies that these patients had, you know, severing that connection will thus get rid of those emotions. I, I rather give birth without <laughs> a epidural again and tear right. front to back before you do one of those to me. I'm just letting right. you know like that. And, and, and keep in mind that this was done without anesthesia. Right. I'm assuming, would, yes. So what they would do is for these patients, they would administer electric shock therapy to the point to where they would pass out. Yeah, and then proceed. And then, and then proceed. And, and, and he, Dr. Freeman got it down to like a 10-minute procedure. It wasn't a very long procedure. Um, but it had lasting effects. So, so one of the effects, so a lot of times, so when I tell you that it worked, I use that in quotations. So there are certain instances where people say, yes, I, I do feel like it worked for me and I was better post lobotomy. Um, it did more harm than good for most of the, most of the time. It, it, it did not help. Um, he, Dr. Freeman performed like almost 4,000 lobotomies, but he killed like almost a hundred people. Like he in the process, in the process, just from like, like cerebral hemorrhaging. Like that's like, it's, it was not a very effective treatment in, in the, I mean, you think about that, that's not a very good success rate. My point is that, so what happens with, with some people who are having like, you know, psychosis or they're having, you know, severe depression what it does is kind of makes you docile. It makes you catatonic a little bit. Like when you think about um, Rosemary Kennedy, you know, she was uh, JFK's sister and she was a, got a lobotomy from Dr. Freeman. And bef- before lo- the lobotomy, she was a precocious young woman who, I mean, she was rebellious. She was, she was, she was you or I, basically. She was, she didn't fit in that like perfect, you know, square peg that the Kennedys are known to be. You know, she, she, she was clearly a wild child and she obviously was mentally ill. And so she was given the lobotomy and then afterwards she couldn't live on her own. She was, she was institutionalized. She was, it, it, it's very sad her story, but she is one of like hundreds of stories. But for me, like when I say it worked, it's for a few number of people, like they say that it did work. Like there's this one, I'm going to have to get out my notes so that I can um, give you some examples. So there was one patient, Sally Ellen Anesco. She lived to be about 90 years old. And she was uh, described as violently suicidal, and she underwent. She was actually the first transorbital lobotomy, and um, post lobotomy, she led a, a normal life. She, she, the suicidal thoughts went away. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she did have she did lose um, some memory function, but she was I mean mo- everything was relatively intact, like you know mentally wise. It, she wasn't like Rosemary Kennedy, where she needed to be institutionalized and couldn't you know function talk or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's just and there was another um, another example that I had, but it's 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 things like that. It's like those success stories are, you know, are too few and far between to actually right. consider that a, you know, a, a, a good treatment option. Yeah. Um, so I feel, I've had so many clients that have uh, come who have been in psych ward. Some have gotten um, electric shock treatments and things like that. And what I find is a lot of people who are admitted to these psych wards don't belong there. And like I said, I'm no way, shape or form a doctor, but I just know that, you know, from working with these people and they, you know, emotionally like working through their baggage, working through their past, they walk right out of these places and they're completely fine. They're very, they're just very gifted and they're very empathic. Um, You know, sometimes people block memories. So if somebody was beaten or raped or went through some kind of like watch someone they love pass away or went through some kind of trauma trauma yeah that they sometimes we we don't know what happened and we emotionally block that out right that's a coping mechanism right it is and then so years later when they decide to um you know when all of a sudden their brain decides to remember or they get triggered by something and that memory comes back like it could be 20 years later 10 years later whatever when that memory comes back it kind of all those feelings all those emotions and all those memories come back flooding in all at once and it sends them into the state of psychosis so when they get sent into the state of psychosis they immediately people like check them in like you know and then they're around other people who are going through the same thing or have been through the same thing or or heavily medicated and they feel like they're picking up on everyone's emotions they think they're crazy they and then they begin to spiral so you know so empathically they're picking up on everything around them and if someone's telling you you're crazy and you feel like you're having a nervous breakdown then you're going to start to believe that as right. well so right, right. it does that happens so often I feel like, and these are my own statistics, but I feel like 90% of the people that are in these places don't belong there. If they can um, just learn to understand their energy um, right. a little better and get that under control. At least maybe not on some long-term level, you know, mm-hmm. like they, like I am all for, so we're women, we're all mothers, mm-hmm. you know, I went through some, some postpartum depression after having my son. Uh, both sons, actually, and um, in some postpartum anxiety, and the stigma that people that people have on you know seeking treatment or help, treatment, yeah, yeah, it's 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 really unfortunate because I think that if women knew that they you know, you could just go to the hospital and say I need to just I just need a break I need to talk to somebody and I need medication and just three day, you know, 72 hour hold. Yeah. And, and even, and, and then you can get on a treatment plan for, you know, whether you need medication and, and whether you need therapy, you need like, like that should not be like, people should not be embarrassed by needing that. I feel like that is almost essential. Um, 
it, not just for postpartum, or just anybody, anybody who's feeling like, you know, like having a mental breakdown, which is, is, is a human thing. It happens every day to so many people more often than you would think. It's, it's a completely human and natural thing to happen because we're not perfect and we're not, our brains are not, it's a completely natural thing. And I just think that if that, if people knew that it is okay to get help and it is okay to seek treatment, you know, you don't have to be there for long term. You don't have to, you know, just, just for, you know, just for a couple of days, you know, just to. I think therapy is good for everyone, like whether whatever kind of therapy you choose to seek, whether it's going somewhere and talking to a therapist, talking to a counselor, um, just having someone to talk to, um, right. you know, just about what's going on. Because some people just have to talk it out and that's all they need. You know, sometimes you just need that. It's, people don't always have that support at home or with friends or anything like that. So I think a safe place for people to go and kind of, you know, seek help without somebody jumping to conclusions either. Like, oh, right. Like, treatment, let's go. You know, yeah, there's right. no, like, I'm just going through something. Let me talk it out. Let me, you know, let me work through it. And then, you know, and then we'll talk about, you know, if further things are needed or, you know, whatever. But I think everyone should have a safe place to, you know, to go to. And I feel like a lot of times back, and I'm talking back, like when you're talking about like the old hospitals and things like right. that, it's like you, it wasn't a safe place to go to, to say what was going on. And a lot of people didn't go because they were scared because of all this trial, like stuff that was going on. So it was never something that people really wanted to openly discuss, you know, right. it's nowadays it's a little more um, normalized, I guess. Um, to go in and, you know, have a therapist or talk to someone. And I think it's great. I think some, a lot of times people just need to talk it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if I want to, I, I just want to kind of go back and just circle back to um, kind of like World War II. Um, shortly after that, right? So what you're seeing is like a roller coaster effect. The, the rise in um, asylums and the overcrowding, right? shortly after the, the, the patient population starts to increase. Okay. And then what happens is, uh, how many of those were women and versus men? Right. Okay. But, and are, are, and are you talking those that served, served, or are we talking about, you know, the wives that were home, et cetera, that would be a total, that would be a whole other podcast. Right. But what you start to see is that they're getting rid of those farming techniques that we talked about, right? And, and raising the crops and tending to the livestock and whatnot. And now we're just going to go into those lobotomies and those shock therapy treatments that we talked about. Um, and then, right, which is more 2023, you are introduced to medications, right. Thorazine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, lithium, all of these, um, I don't, I'm not going to say cure all or whatever, but we're okay. So now we're able to medicate rather than right. do these procedures. So now, right, bringing down that roller coaster, we don't really need these long-term facilities um, as much per se, um, which is, you know, let's fast forward towards 1996, where they're, you know, um, building 93, which um, held, you know, most of the patients, we're using only the bottom floors now, right? Because we're kind of emptying out. And then what's going to happen is um, 
you know, the state goes kaput and we're going to release our patients into the real world like we do our vets, right, after war. And or we're going to transfer them to Pilgrim and we're going to shut down. And the same thing happens to Central Islip, okay? Um, And what happens when you're going to release people back into the real world, um, you know, uh, I was watching, uh, there was a documentary on Kings Park um, by a patient by the last name of Weiner. And she, um, she basically did a documentary on the hospital itself. And it was more, it starts with her personal experience. Then it goes into the, um, the hospital and what went on there and other patients come forward and they, you know, give their, um, their stories as well. And then it's really talking about, um, mental illness, how we're, we're not making it, um, a priority and, and really like, okay, we're in 2023. How are we, you know, budgeting for this? How are we making it priority? How are we helping those that, um, that need the help? Um, so, you know, here, here Kings Park shuts down and what are we going to do with this basically landmass that is no longer um, functional. It's full of asbestos. They can't just tear down every single building. They took down a couple. Um, you know, in uh, 2000, what happens is there's a waterfront uh, part of the property that reopens as Nisiquag River State Park. And that um, kind of stops other, um, I guess, you know, people coming in and and purchasing to develop in this area. Um, you know, besides the concerns of like, you know, what are you going to do with, you know, the asbestos not properly being abated, et cetera. Um, but again, I'm going back to like thinking about things that have gone on there and the, the energies, as Danielle said, um, and what would happen if they did build over it? Um, you know, that energy would probably still be there. Um, you know, because it's a lot to clear out, you know, it's a lot of energy to clear out. And, you know, you have a lot of memory, memory is energy, in some ways as well. So you have that memory of so many people who are still living that kind of keep it there. You know, so the energy is always going to be there to some degree. Right. So it's, it's always gonna, it's always gonna be there. So no matter what you build over it, it's like, that, you know, you might see like, you know, if someone sensitive walks into a new building that they built over it, like they may still see patients walking around, um, you know, in their mind, um, the energy of that, the spirit of that, um, they might hear like doors opening or people like, you know, talking or screaming or whatever noises that they hear now, um, that will probably still be there. It might be a little minimal, but it'll still be there, you know, that. So what are some of the things that what so what makes King's Park Asylum Psychiatric Center um what makes it like what are some of the things that you have in your research found that went on there that might have left an imprint on people and why people are like so I guess my question is like why is why are paranormal enthusiasts going to this particular place in general they're there other just because that happen. 
Yeah, just because of the types of treatments that they had, how many people, um, you know, passed there because of the treatments, the lobotomy treatments, the electric shocks, the, you know, all the other inhumane treatments that they've done there, um, what people experienced, what they went through, um, you know, their memory around it. It was just so much of it there. But that's the same thing if you were in a hospital and the hospital, like, kind of went, you know, like re got rebuilt, like that same energy is going to be there. But just because of the history of it, that's what makes it like ghostly or like whatever they say. And I just feel like it's more for the paranormal enthusiasts, but I feel like it could be like that in any kind of building like that, right. um, that hosts things. But um, because of what we know now, it makes it a little more, I guess, like spookier to some people, um, you know, what went down there and what happened there. So when there's a lot of trauma in one place, that energy is going to be there and you're going right. to feel that. And do you think it's necessarily transferred onto the people that seek out these phenomenons or or do you think it's just um, um, there and, and it can be witnessed or felt and then it's important. as you leave the building, it stays there? Yeah, it's important not to take it on because it's not yours. So right. like your brain could like spiral with it. And, you know, you bring that energy to you. Like you go somewhere and you feel a certain way and then you leave and you're telling someone about it and you remember and you get that same feeling. You're like, oh, my God, it's with me. But it's not. It's just your memory around it's there. And it's just like when you when I do a reading for someone, like I could do a reading for someone through text, like whether they're in another state or they're right next to me because energy is energy. So if you're thinking about the energy, talking about the energy, you can feel that, you know, like if you're looking at pictures of something, you could feel it. You could feel the energy. That doesn't mean that you took it like, you know, it's attached right, to you. Right. You know, it's with you, but you could take, you know, you could definitely take it on because your brain starts to spiral with it. Yeah. Um, with that, you know, so it's just important to let it go and know it's not yours and, you know, whatever it is. So... I think your I think your intentions also um, have an effect mm -hmm. on on you know on what you're um, going to see here, etc. Um, I think that if your intention is to go there and destroy for whatever reason and and um, desecrate you know the walls, um, you know I think you're going to be I, I think you'll leave with with something attached to you because you're 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 putting forth that negativity and it's, it's not, um, you're not there for good reasons, you know? And, and just as, you know, people talk about, you know, the universe, which put out, you're going to get right back. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're curious, okay. Um, if you're going there as an empath, I think you'll have a very different experience. Um, you know, and one thing, one thing that I don't like about, you know, social media and, and, and everything in today's age with cell phones and everything is that everything is so um, sensationalized and so overexposed, right? Hidden gems are no longer hidden gems. Not that I'm saying that this is a hidden gem, but it almost, almost takes, you know, seeing reels on TikTok about this um, just kind of makes me roll my eyes because it's like, you know, this is not a tourist spot and there's, there are stories here. And, you know, going back to some of the staff members that I spoke to, um, I spoke to some that work at Pilgrim and I spoke to some that um, worked at Kings Park and had um, parents that worked at Kings Park. And it, the commonality that I was finding was um, it was like a family thing. Like you worked there, your mom worked there, your grandmother worked there. And um, the stories 
some of them I don't even want to repeat as people asked me like not to mention their names. Um, but one man said to me, he's like, did you go into the basement? I said, no. He said in the basement, there are still shackles on the walls from, you know, uh, when they would chain people to the walls. And he said, you know, in the basement, they were torturing. Yeah. And I, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I want to go near that. Um, that energy is like ghostly. And honestly, like I'm not one to chase like dark energy. Right. Yep. And things like that. But, um, you know, like you, you know, you could have the experience of it and just leave. But I usually when I'm faced with something that's like that, I kind of just, you know, I pray and I just kind of send light to it and to the situation. And that's, yeah. that's all you could really, you know, that's all you could really do. Definitely. Um, situations with respect sometimes. I've seen right. videos Absolutely. from state, but other things um, on YouTube where they're like, all right, we're going in, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I'm just like, have some respect. Like, you know, they make it like a game and it's, it's not like real people went through stuff here. Real people had trauma. Real people died. Like it's, you know, it's very sad. It's very sad. And yeah, it's not treated correctly all the time. I think one of the reasons why I was so excited to start this podcast with Michelle was that is the fact that, yeah, we are talking about some, some dark and heavy stuff and, 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 you know, but I, I want to bring, you know, to the forefront that it's not like Michelle said, it's not just a tourist attraction or some places aren't meant to be tourist attractions. They like, I want to highlight, like, these are real people that, that either suffered some sort of tragedy or, or, you know, anything. I, I just, I just want to kind of bring light to the fact that this, this is what happened. This is why people like to visit this place. And I mean, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I like to visit these places, some of these places. Like I, I don't think I would go to a, an abandoned psychiatric center personally, but I, but like, I mean, I like to go to places like, you know, the Coliseum in, in Rome. Things went on there too. A lot right? of bad things yeah. went on there. And, yeah. you know, you're talking about like human sacrifices went down, you know, yeah. and, and people go, millions of people visit that, you know, the Coliseum. And that's just an example, like the, the catacombs in Paris and the, you know, Chernobyl, which I don't, I don't, do people go to Chernobyl? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I so. Don't I don't think that's very. There's some things that you go to though, and they are so um, interesting. Like some things like happen in these places right. but and in some places you go and you really feel like light and airy you know like one time yeah. i saw this picture of this location and i was like i feel really good around it and you know it feels really nice and it turns out like so many people got killed there and i was like why do i feel nothing then like and you know what the energy changes new people come in new people build and they create new energy so that that energy that doesn't feel so good can dissipate you know, and it can feel good and it can dissipate over time. It really can. So sometimes, yeah, if you build over it, sometimes you still have that energy there. And then other times, like, you know, it depends on how nice, like, you know, who, like what kind of energy is brought to it. It will Definitely. either apply or it'll change. You so know? my question is, since y'all are both New Yorkers, what is your feel for like ground zero? Um, I, I, I've been down there twice. Um, it weighs heavy on me. It's not a place I want to go. I'm shocked that so many, again, I guess it's the, it's the, the curiosity and the, um, wanting to, you know, see, but, um, 
it's not a place I want to be for me personally. And I don't know anyone that passed or anything like that. It's just, um, it's just a, a very sad, sullen, heavy place for me. So it's not somewhere that, you know, I, I, I frequent, I think two times in, in my lifetime is enough. All right. I've been to ground zero before and after, this was the first time I was ever there. I was never like at ground zero, even when the towers were there, I was never there. So we pulled up and I guess the cab, I was with a friend and the cab pulled, I guess, around the corner. So I didn't know we were even there yet. I figured, you know, everywhere in the city you walk and, you know, so I didn't really know where I was. So I stepped out of the cab. I'm dri- well, we're driving in the cab and all of a sudden I just start feeling sick to my stomach. I start, I, like, I got really a bad headache. My stomach was hurting and I was just like, I felt like I was going to pass out. And um, I get to the car and I get out of the car. My legs just felt like weak heavy like jello they felt heavy and I was walking it felt like I was walking for days like my legs like you said were very heavy and the best way I can explain it is I was walking and I would see people like walking towards me and stuff because there were so many people there and I felt like I was in the twilight zone like I felt like I was the only conscious person in there and I felt like I was walking and like everyone else was blurry. Like there was just so much energy to me and everybody was blurry. Not that I was the only conscious person, but everyone was blurry. And I felt like I was, the, even the person I was with was blurry. Like I felt like it was just so weird. I felt like I was in a movie and everything was in slow motion around them. You know how like they're the only clear ones and everybody else is in slow motion. And it's like, you know, like everyone's going fast. And that's like how I saw with my physical eyes. And I went um, to... I forget if it was, oh, Tower 1, I felt uncomfortable. And then I went over to Tower 2, and I felt even more uncomfortable. But I put my hand down on, they have all the people's names. Yes. Um, around, it is a beautiful monument. And I put my hand down on it just to kind of like look over. The second my hand touched it, I just, I don't even want to repeat what I saw. But it was just, I, I had to leave. I couldn't stay more than like five minutes there. I was... It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so definitely not a place that was made light by the, the memorial and the, no. the things just, that they have added. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe over time it'll dissipate. But for me, when I went, it was, I was very sensitive, more sensitive than I thought I would be to it. Right. Yeah. I, I have to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy how, how you know, physical structures ha- carry all of these um, energies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's, that's what, that's what intrigued me and pulled me towards, you know, Kings Park. It's, de- you know, and I'm definitely not going to um, stop my, my, uh, my research and my readings. And um, I found a whole bunch of articles um, about the history. And there are many people that are, um, I guess, coming forth and sharing their stories. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's also, uh, I forgot to say this, but two things. One, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful area. Um, my, my stepdaughters have played soccer at the park and, um, it's a nice place to go for a walk. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about going into the buildings per se, but there's, it, there's a lot of, there's also a hiking trail there. Um, there's and a lot I also, of there. yeah, there is. And, um, the, the other thing is, you know, I'm in no way condoning, taking your, you know, taking your buddies and and going over to Kings Park by any means um, in terms of, you know, checking out these buildings. Like I said, full of asbestos, not safe, broken glass, um, rusted metal everywhere. Um, And on our 
walk back to the airport, uh, to the airport, I was going to say, to the um, parking lot. We were walking, my husband and I, and we heard a really loud bang. And I want to say that it sounded like a pole or a beam just like slamming and it kind of like shook the ground a little bit. Um, that was all I needed to <laughs> to confirm like, all right, cool. Um, you know, and it was in building 93. We were past the um, the other building we had walked um, into. Uh, you know, and again, we were respectful uh, by set of prayers. I, you know, as I walked through and in no way did I um, seek to disturb or disrespect um you know, those that, that have passed there, those, um, you know, who were patients there. Um, and you know, it's really been great talking to you guys. Cause this, this, this podcast could have gone on for like hours, <laughs> uh, just on like, you know, um, tangents and other thoughts that come up. Um, but Danielle, I want to say thank you for coming on. And I, I know, I know we're going to be uh, working together again very soon. Yeah. Um, do you want to give our listeners um, your 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 website, your at? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'll put it in. I'll put everything in the show notes too. So you know, if you don't catch it here, just you know, just read definitely it. everything will okay, be there. awesome. So yeah, anyone could um, make an appointment or see more about me at daniellenatra.com. It's uh, D A N I E L L E A N A T R A. Awesome. So thank you guys. Thanks so much, so much Danielle. Thank Nikki, you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next the, the next uh, episode. Definitely. Yes, I am too. Take okay. care, ladies. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.